This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 40, part B. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, Nolan here. We are continuing our discussion with Gary. If you haven't already checked out uh, part A of this series, then make sure you go and listen to part A before you listen to today's episode. You know, one of the things we hear from from other tech folks in the tech industry are the importance, the critical, the importance of uh, should cost modeling. You know, how do you ensure that the modeling practices you follow that the data is fair, reasonable? for all parties involved. So I guess I'm asking, you know, how are you aligning with best industry practices, objective standards, benchmarks, that sort of thing? I use the phrase, I just try to be less wrong than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Because it is the most difficult, the most complex commodity to try. It is so non-transparent. Okay. You know, and I think it's even if we're we would consider ourselves a tier two, tier three type supplier, right? The the big folks, the fruit companies, and some of those other folks are tier ones, right? Yeah. Those folks perhaps maybe have a better insight into foundries and you know some of the insights that are there, but you know there are other ways. And in fact, I have spent a lot of my early years here at Sonos developing cost tools. Yeah. And. What I've come down to is there isn't one. (laughs) We are analysts and just like a Wall Street analyst, right? Who somehow has correlated the the tea leaves in, you know, somewhere to the color of the grass in some other place and realizes those two things correlate and this thing's going to happen and they develop these models. That's where we are. So I've gone to a different approach. I use this analogy all the time. I pretend I'm going on a rafting trip. If I'm going on a rafting trip, right, you prepare yourself for all the things that you can realistically so that as you go on your journey, you can, you can adapt or you can adjust to to those things. So life vest, if, you know, uh, helmets, those kind of things. So with ship cost modeling, it's very similar. You, you are finding sources of truth that you can count on consistent. Because the chip manufacturers are going to do everything they can not to really give you absolutes. So there are things that you can know in general. You know a die size because you can do a scanning electron microscope. You can see the die within the chip. You can know the package that the part is in. It's a it's a plastic. It's got some metal pieces that come out of it or it's a ball grid. There is definitely a quantitative piece of that. But unfortunately as we were alluding to before, there's there's so much intellectual property in these things that you have no idea how they're amateurizing or figuring all that out, right? So in addition to that, how many times did they run the, the metal layer? You know, it's it's a $4 million process roughly for them to, to do, just do the first chipset, tape it out. 
And if they made a mistake, you know, that the corrections are still in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to go fix that, right? So they had to capture all that. So I think, I think long-windedly answering your question of, those are all the reasons why it's very difficult to, to really pin down what it is. So, so basically you can come out with, there's tools out there that we use to understand, like I said, the, the, the innards of a chip, right? What node is it in? What found, and, and these are pieces of information we also get from the supplier. Where is it being manufactured? What's the node it's on? So the technology node, what nanometer you know, node is being used? What is packaging? You can you can get some of those that information, so you can get a general sense of what something is. But at the end of the day, it's like I said, you just want to be less wrong, and you know you, you give them some numbers that you were needing to hit, right? And and how can you get there? And so, yeah, I, it's it's a very difficult process. I thought you know for sure I could do this. I could just come in and I can say, well, I'm buying so many more of these, and therefore I should get this price. Volume and price don't necessarily align well. They don't. And for certain commodities, for, for yeah. the passives, for what we call popcorn parts, you know, passive like capacitors, resistors, you know, non, non-silicon based type. Okay, fine. Those you're buying in the tens of millions, billions of pieces, right? They're, they're the support pieces that go around the, the main, main silicon chips. But the main silicon chips is really difficult, very yeah. difficult to cost, but, but important. And so... I think in, in summary, basically, we can get close and we can tell whether or not somebody is not giving us a, a fair price. And we use the tools that we have to, to challenge that. But I think it's I think people refer to, I think it's Moore's Law, right? The, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of Moore's Law where, you know, these transistors continue to double and you're... In, in its capability, and you, but the computer prices keep going down. That was right. the, the old way. So it's very strange, very difficult to to really nail down a, a should cost for some of these devices. Yeah, and 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 if I go back to something you said earlier, as, as I'm listening to what you're saying, the importance then of the conversation. Here's how we're getting there. Here's the information we have. You shit. You talked about getting some of that information comes from the suppliers themselves. Yeah. That importance of the relationship established up front would seem to impact your ability to do refinement about around cost. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the other way to look at it too is cost over time. You know, mm-hmm. these projects, these products, our lifespan for some of these products seven to ten years, right? I mean. And, and so it's, it's, if you're not getting it on the way in, depending on where it is in its technology life cycle, that's another piece, right? That's if it's brand new, of course, they want to get as much margin as possible. Sure. The other thing that I find too with these is ensuring that you can protect your contract price. Meaning it, a lot of times what I find is suppliers will give you a better price if you can mask the price, so to speak, mask it, meaning maybe I buy two or three chips from them and I just pay a set, a a price for the set of those components. Therefore, they can give me a lower margin. And uh, and the reason that is right, nobody wants their contract price out there because your contract price is is under NDA, is very confidential. Mm -hmm. And I was able to negotiate a better price than everyone else. 
they don't want, the supplier does not want anybody else to know that. And the way our model works is, right, I, we do all the design and then we hire a company, a factory to go manufacture to our specification. Well, they go do the buying. You know, they're not only buying for us, right? And so therefore, when they see my contract price and it's lower than everybody else's contract price for maybe the same component, right? They start to try to use that to their advantage. And, and those are things that we have to be very, very careful. So you you do custom part number. There's a variety of things you can do. And I, I guess I, I think that's another important point to make is there's oftentimes ways when you're when you can't meet, you know, on on what you want versus what they are asking for. What are the what are those gaps? Why is that? And sometimes you find is like, hey, now this is so important to us. It's just coming out. And we, we can't do that because then everybody's going to want that price right away. And so that actually was one of my uh, moments at Sonos where I did that. I did a custom part number with a, a, a company to get a further 20% drop in cost that nobody else had. And I was able to enjoy that for a period of time. And it's something I hadn't thought of before. And it's just, you know, the, the chip has a number on the outside of it right right they all look the same they just the numbers are on it that look different i now use that as part of my repertoire is is hey can we go custom number can we mask can we do and i was surprised to learn that that is another angle to to try to get your should cost and their cost the same thank you that's an awesome example of being creative there gary but i think this also lends to a segue here and it's a lot of common pushback that we get from our tech clients and that's when they're dealing with sole source manufacturers for their products or these chip manufacturers who may be stuck having to use what we often hear tech clients say is well we just don't have an alternative we don't have there's nothing we can do we have to go with this so i was trying to get your insight on if there's anything that you can do strategically or tactically so that you better your alternatives, whatever they are. I think we always have a choice. We always have alternatives. It's just a matter of how much money and time do we have, right? And that's the, the root of everything. Take radios or platforms. There's a lot of man hours, you know, people time put into these products, right? And having multiple relationships for those parts is difficult, but certainly not uncommon. And so I think there's a couple couple things that we think about now. First and foremost, be in a position to uh, have an alternate. Just because you are sole sourced uh, with a particular supplier, first thing you need to do is make sure that your continuity supply and your allocation backlog, etc., is strong, right? Because you never want to be wagged by your sole source. You want to be in control of that. So First and foremost, you've got to do that. If you don't do that, then you're really, and you don't feel like you have an alternative solution, you're going to be in trouble. So once you have that in place, then I think you have to get creative. There are ways of maybe not initially having two sources, but, you know, alternate configurations is something that, you know, we start looking at. And through our continuing sustaining engineering teams or other groups, right, if we can justify a lower cost part, right? We know it's going to take that, you know, a large effort, but at least you have something that you're working on. And it also serves a second purpose, which is your primary source, right? Is now becomes <laughs> aware that, hey, you know, on 
our second iteration. So, so, so you use it yep. to, to, to balance them. And I will tell you, it's, it's something that many of us have, have struggled because the, the amount of effort that it takes to, to develop some of these parts in your circuitry and the relationship that you have to have, having multiple companies and multiple software teams doing that is, right. is not affordable all the time. You know, you got to get creative. And, and I think we've been very successful with that and, and helping to balance that because you, the only thing you have then to negotiate against, you know, cost downs or cost ups or anything is the research that we referenced before. Whereas now, you know, if you have two players in, in, in the house that you can you can work them against each other a little bit and make sure that you're getting uh, better pricing. But there are some situations and, and those situations are typically due to, like I said, high uh, integration with each other or somebody was the first mover into that technology space. And so don't take your eye off it. That's the other thing I would say is, OK, I was sole source this year. Company X was the first mover. We're there. We're on that bleeding edge of technology. Got it. People are, you know, that puts a target on that supplier. Everybody's going to want to get to that space, you know. So really monitor your AVL, monitor your allocation strategy, look at your sole source parts. You know, it's a continuous review because uh, sometimes those can got, be forgotten. And, you know, because you think you've established it, it's, it's in the machine, it's working, everything's good. And then all of a sudden something in the world happens and you're like, uh-oh. Right. <laughs> the, yeah. the unexpected. Yeah, what I appreciate about what you just were talking about with this con continuous process is it really throws out the idea that you can approach these sorts of negotiations with any degree of linear thinking. You've got to be looking at the layers. And as you're having conversations with supplier A here, you're doing internal things and you're also looking at what's happening in the industry. That's just highly complex. It's chess. I tell people that all the time. It's a, it's a massive game of chess that you're trying to figure out. And you just, again, like I said, you hope to be less wrong and put your, I shouldn't say hope. Hope is not a great strategy. You, you do all the things yeah. to put yourself in a position to succeed and at least be less affected by things that are out of your control because things are going to happen to us no matter what. And as long as we're in control of things that we could have been in control of and have good mitigations, we find ourselves in much better positions. So even in chess, sometimes you lose. This is, this is a tough question, but I feel like I can ask you this. You've been doing this for a while, Gary. Any, do you have an example of a negotiation failure that you've learned from and, and what you were able to learn? And are you willing to share, share that with us? Yeah. I, uh, you learn from your mistakes, right? It's, as uh, I tell people, it's only a mistake if you do it twice. <laughs> it's a learning the first time. And I say that very tongue in cheek, but it's, it's important because there are people who that word failure is, is hard to, to hear, hard to take for me it, the same. Right. And so young team members and new team members, you know, I always say, hey, well, I guess we learned from that one, right? And as long as we don't do it again, I guess we learned. Early on, I think, you know, I thought I had the, the, this negotiation just solid. And I tied it around, it was a rookie mistake. I tied it to a volume. And I didn't do some research in terms of the, where the product was headed, 
and the potential risks that were there. And it didn't work out. And we tied it to an NRE. So, you know, they, they did this design, a couple hundred thousand dollars that they had. And we said, all right, well, we'll buy, you know, two million widgets. And after that, we're square. And I think we only went on buying like 800,000. Okay. Far miss. <laughs> big, big miss. So therefore, what came due? $300,000 worth of NRE. That was a hard pill to swallow. But it was a lesson that uh, I learned, you know, that don't tying things to volume is a bad idea because the volume is dependent on so many factors outside <laughs> of your control. And it was a single product skew. There wasn't a high, you know, if it's in, you know, several of your products, you can, you can throw a decent number and, and hit it, but yeah. it's not a good practice. And it's a practice that I have since never repeated. And it was hard to say, hey, could you sign this? And, and in all fairness, I got the, my partner, a uh, company that I was working with, they, they cut it in half because we gave them some new business. So, it, you know, again, it was, I, it, I did, the whole thing didn't come due. And um, so still a bit of saving grace, but yeah. it's still a moment that I'm not proud of. Yeah. Now, well, th well, thank, thank you for sharing that. And and I, we would agree that we learn the most from failure. And it's also <laughs> in terms of the example you chose. I feel like we hear variations of that from from people. Even the you know the the thought that well, I'll take I'll take a cut now, but I'll make it up later. But later never happens. And and so there's you know some challenges there. You were so genuine there. I, I need to give you an opportunity. How about a success? How do you have a negotiation? You think of like that really defined success in a negotiation, and why did you think it was so successful? You know, every negotiation that ends where I and my counterpart shake hands. I've never. I, I think making sure that that relationship is is intact and and very strong says that all the negotiations were, were positive. To, to point one out, I, I don't know. And, and besides which, it you know, when the successes are, those were team efforts. You know, th those were not just me. You know, uh, I would not be comfortable taking any, taking credit for work because it, it's always a group effort. And, and I will say, you know, we have, we have been very good but I, I don't know that I could point one out. I think our, if you, not to do the shameless Sonos plug, but again, if you look at the last two quarters of earnings, you can see, you know, Sonos has been very, very strong and we've hit our numbers. And, you know, our president has been out there touting on CNBC and all the, the, the talk shows that his sourcing team has, you know, really helped uh, uh, tremendously. So, I think that that success in itself in a, in a very, very trying time for, for the world, I think that's that's success enough, I suppose. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great measure, right? When it translates both into imp, you know implementation, so from negotiation table to actual implementing, and then you're seeing that in terms of operational success. That's a great, it's a great measure. And you'd mentioned team effort there, Gary. So are there things that you're doing to develop and grow your team to, to just help them become more aware of negotiations and in how to have success in these negotiations. Absolutely. We, we're, we're always all doing that. The way we're split up, 
is, you know, we, we manage certain uh, commodity types. So whether it's for me, connectivity and platforms, which are the CPUs or, you know, what, uh, power or memory or, you know, break it out. Each of us are talking to various pieces of the world and we make sure that we align ourselves all the time and give ourselves that opportunity to, to learn from or work that. So we're always learning. We're always trying to improve. Absolutely. And it comes from all parts of the team, uh, for sure. So Gary, you know, Nolan and I are always interested in how people are applying these uh, negotiation skills, how they show up in their own personal lives. Your bio shows that you spent time uh, on a little league board with a focus or as the head, sorry, the head of umpiring. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. would have to imagine that some negotiation showed up there. How does this show up in your own life? <laughs> you know, there's a funny story. Uh, so my daughters played uh, softball. We have a very nice facility. And uh, so it, it was the right thing to do. And that was, that was a really interesting time because now you have the most personal part of your life, right, is before you. And I'm a coach and, you know, these umpires and, you know, you never, it's not about person preferable treatment or anything. And these guys know I'm scheduling them and I'm doing that. There was an instance where my, my little girl was, uh, she was pitching at the time and she was having a bad day and, you know, she was pitching and she hit this girl <laughs> twice and the girls, the, the girl's grandfather was in the stands and he was, he was like yelling and screaming. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> They're like, you know, 10 years old. It's not like she's over there trying to bean her, you know? And and his granddaughter was his granddaughter was very short, so the strike zone, the plate was like really <laughs> tight. I the the umpire threw the guy out. I felt horrible, right? And I he came to me and I'm like, I, it's my daughter, I'm coaching the game. What a crazy <laughs> instance that was. It, um, but I, I I feel that I was able to stay very objective on that. But I would say that was one of the most interesting things because you know your mind and your heart are kind of in battle with each other and it's like what do you do but i mean it was minor but he was just you know how great fathers yeah that's that's right (laughs) he was was from new york too which is great so yeah you can tell like and i'm like oh my goodness so but in my personal life you know constantly negotiating right now i'm my my youngest daughter's looking to go to college, right? She's uh, she's a junior in high school. She's a, and uh, we just did some tours. So you know we're going to be focusing on yeah. on her. My older daughter's at uh, Auburn University in Alabama, and uh, she's you know so constantly yeah. using it there or used it there. She she's got into the the honors college in there, and so that was really great. So yeah, so we're and, and let's face it, like I said. My daughter, I think, teaches me more about negotiating these days than she 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 has a very special spot. If anybody wanted to find my kryptonite, yeah. it'd be through my daughter, <laughs> that's for sure. You know? I can there's, yeah. there's no doubt. Now our kids know us best, right? They I can I can relate to that, Gary. So um <laughs> and I and I learn I learn yeah. so much from negotiating with my own kids too. Yeah. But you know, I will tell you back to the to the little league thing. I think those of us that can that, that have experiences globally and, and have experiences, you know, in a corporate setting, what I gave them in my short time there is just the bigger picture, just that let's, 
you're not just talking to this guy who's going to cut your, you know, do the lawn maintenance or what have you. You know, these are these are important relationships to have, right? Because, and and I think it's oftentimes for for many people on those boards, it's it's probably the highest type of collaborative groups and they're going to do where they control large uh, events and they can be short-sighted at times, right? And and I think that's something that I help them bring as a bigger perspective, you know, and that's just through my experiences. And uh, it, it, it it's an amazing system. Uh, my daughter actually works there now. She's a head of the, the like field department where they feed people and that kind of stuff while she's in high school, you know? So great, great program. I know I was able to help them and support them for my little time that I was there. That's awesome, Gary. And and first, let me say thank you so much for being on this podcast. This podcast is all about elevating your influence through purposeful negotiations. So we start to wrap everything up here. Is there anything that we didn't ask you that you think has been important, uh, something that you want to highlight for our listeners uh, with respect to negotiations? No, I think you guys covered so much. In fact, you know, I was I was glad to to be able to prep these and take all this in. This was a great episode, so I really appreciate experience. I mean, it was a great experience, yeah. and I'm I'm excited that you gave me the opportunity. I did want to say I did want to say one more thing. Thank you both for your service. Uh, you know that that is very near and dear. And anyone who, you know, rings that bell. I have a brother who's a marine. Another brother's sergeant in the state police in New Jersey. And thank you to to you guys. You guys uh, really have you know allow us to sleep peacefully at night and thank you for all your service. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. I'll turn it over to Aram for, for closing thoughts. Yeah. So many great takeaways here. So um, really appreciate Gary's time. I, you know, there was a nice combination of relationship and the importance of relationship at the beginning of our conversation, how, how relationship is key. I think you said honesty, integrity, and trust. And then, you know, as we go from boardroom to ballpark, even at the end, being able to make that linkage and, and helping people, you know, maybe broaden their perspective and, and think about how collaboration and the importance of these relationships can be. So I really appreciate that. I hope folks go back and really listen to how you manage alternatives. I thought that was really fascinating, right? Being in a position to manage them well, you know, really, you know, looking internally, alternative, alternative configurations, having those conversations, and then not taking your eye off things are happening in the industry. So this year might have to go sole source. That doesn't mean I have to do that next, next year. And, and that, that perspective I think is so helpful. And then I'll just finish with use what you said about the importance of prep, right? Who's in the room and that we're always better when we're able to bounce ideas off each other. So those are just kind of three key ideas that I pulled out of, I think so, so many Gary. So thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, I um, if I may, there, there was one thing I did want to just go back and mention. Absolutely. And that is, relationship is obviously key all of those things that we stated are great that doesn't mean that we don't put formalized agreements or formalized documentation together however i think everybody should realize that if you're living in those documents if you're pulling those documents out and said look on page you know four it's a you've already lost and so i don't want to dismiss the the legal instruments that you know have to be put in place but I think everybody should know that you can have the best legal document. You can be the best you know, word crafter there is. But if you're talking about that and arguing about that, everybody's already lost. 
there's only the people in the room that are winning are the lawyers, right? So just, you know, be mindful of that. I think the power of the relationship, strong relationships, the legal thing has to happen. Right. And you hope to never bring those out, you know, because if you did, all the other stuff has had to have already failed. Yeah. And let's face it, nobody wants to be there. Perfect point. Yep. Agreed. All right. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, both Aaron and I would greatly appreciate it. If you have any questions or anything you want us to cover in future episodes, please send us an email at team at negotiatex, and we will get to that. If you are an organization like Gary's, either bigger, smaller, or the same size as Sonos, we are happy to take you on as a client. We still have some client opportunities here for 2022, and we'd love to help you out. If you need anything, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.